standard issue for all women. Hello and welcome to the Sunday Chops. This week, Hannah and I, well, mainly Hannah, chat to the amazing Dr Susie Gage about her podcast, Say Why to Drugs, which covers drugs in all their legal, illegal, prescribed, standard booze type guises. It's a really, really fascinating chat. I learned a lot, some of which I probably shouldn't put into practice. Anyway, we hope you enjoy it. As ever, can I just remind you that we have a back catalogue of chops and podzines and gig casts for you to treat your ears to, because, you know, we really are a treat. So please do take a look at that on the ACAST site or other podcast providers. If you would like to see us live in front of your very faces, you can find details of our seriously, seriously corking lineups on the standard issue bit of Sarah's website, which you will find at sarahmillican.co.uk forward slash standard hyphen issue. Please, if you've got five minutes, do rate and review us on iTunes because it really does make a difference. And I'm just going to whisper the number five, five, five. And hopefully either, you know, get you to put five in or creep you out so much that you do it out of fear. I'm willing to take either. And also, if you're not subscribed, please do subscribe because that also makes a massive difference. Anyway, enough of me wanging on. Here is Hannah, me and Dr. Susie Gage. Hi, we're here in the Premier Inn in Manchester Piccadilly in a quiet room with Dr Susie Gage, a lecturer at University of Liverpool, psychologist and epidemiologist, writer and podcaster of the really rather excellent Say Why to Drugs. Hello. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. We have been trying to get a date with Susie for about two months and geography and weirdly fun runs have been getting in the way. And now we find ourselves with you when... Hello, have you been doing fun runs? Yeah, funnily enough, that wasn't me. <laughs> My runs weren't funny. <laughs> <laughs> the legalisation of cannabis has become a real hot-button issue since we arranged to meet. Yeah. Perhaps if we start with your podcast, what it is, why people should listen to it, and what your interest in recreational and medicinal drug use is. Sure. Yeah, so I make the Say Why to Drugs podcast, as you mentioned, which is a episodic podcast focusing on a different substance each episode. Legal ones, illegal ones, ones that are prescribed to people, ones that you have to buy off dodgy people on the street. And the idea behind the podcast was to provide sort of accurate information about what we know about the science around the the effects of these drugs, both sort of the risks that you might experience from taking it, the potential harms that you might expose yourself to, why people take them in terms of sort of the why people enjoy the intoxication effects of these drugs, but also to kind of bust some of the myths that exist around these substances. Because even something like alcohol, we think we know so much about mm. what it is, but there's so much misinformation, exaggeration, hyperbole mm talked about alcohol that actually trying to navigate your way through all this information is really quite difficult and the reason I wanted to do this podcast was because I didn't really think there was sort of one place you could find all this information particularly well and I actually started it because I won a competition called I'm a scientist get me out of here which was incredible and it was a group of scientists go and speak to or don't actually you don't go anywhere you do it all online but to eight classes of school children across the country and you have to they can ask you any question that they want and you just have to answer it so part of it's about them understanding that well I'm a psychologist I don't know how much the moon weighs but I can tell you about the things that I'm an expert why you ask that question exactly (laughs) maybe and part of the thing 
you had to also do was say what you would do with the money if you won, but you get given £500 to do some sort of science communication project if you win. So I said, well, I'll, I'll make a podcast about drugs uh, to provide sort of non-judgmental information, realistic information about substances. It's not pro-drugs, it's not anti-drugs. And the kids that were taking part in this competition seemed really keen on that. So I knew I was sort of onto something. And then I sat on the idea for a while because I did... I didn't really know what I was doing. I interviewed a few scientists, but I didn't know how to ask the right questions. It was quite dry. And then I happened to be introduced to Scroobius Pip, the rapper, actor, podcaster. He's got more titles than I do. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> and I, I was a guest on his podcast. And while there, I mentioned that I was planning to do this podcast. And he said three things. He said, oh, you should call it Say Why to Drugs. Absolutely brilliant name. I'd spent two years trying to yeah. think of a good name and nothing. He said, you, what you should do is you should have it as a kind of you talking to an interested but non-expert friend about these drugs, make it a kind of conversational podcast. And then he said, and I can be that friend if you like, because I'm about to set up a podcast network and we can put out your podcast. So Excellent. I was like, yes, please, thank you. <laughs> and the rest is kind of history. I have to say, it's really interesting, because you are absolutely right, it has hit that point. It neither encourages anyone to take drugs, but it also says to them, you know, if you're going to take them, this is the issue, which is a really grown-up attitude to drugs, which we don't actually have in this country, particularly, I have to say. It's difficult, I think. Governments certainly have historically shied away from doing anything that might be seen to condone drug use. And they've kind of tied themselves in knots around it as well. Um, before we get further, I should say that the sort of legal side of things is not where I'm an expert. My research really looks at trying to understand the links between recreational drug use and mental health. That's my particular area of expertise. So the sort of legal side of things is something that I'm much more just a, an observer on yeah. rather than an expert. That's interesting because, of course... With, say, drug use, for example, I mean, you could be an expert on, you know, taking heroin because you took heroin for 20 years, or you can be an expert on taking heroin because you've read a lot about yeah. taking heroin. It's a, it, there's lots of different ways to be an expert in it. I think drugs are fascinating, partly because I did take a lot of them at one point in my life, and I'm quite open about that, and I wouldn't discourage anybody else from doing it. But that said, also, because I know a lot of people in my life who've been killed by legal drugs, alcohol, mm-hmm. And also prescription drugs. Yeah. And tobacco, I mean. Uh, well, yes, that too. Put your fag out, Hannah. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, that's the point. Also, I do drink and I do smoke, so I think you can, you know, you can afford to not be preachy about stuff and but still that, consider I it a serious that's issue. That's an interesting point as well, because we do take risks every day from in all sorts of ways, like crossing a road, getting a bus, you know, all sorts of things, getting behind the wheel of a car. We take these risks every yeah. day, but we do it from an informed position we decide whether or not to take these risks knowing what they are whereas with quite a lot of drugs particularly illegal ones we just don't like knowing what those risks are is much more difficult yeah I mean we have a in fact I was just saying this to Mickey on the drive here I think as a country we have quite a hypocritical attitude to illegal drugs and the the example of this was yesterday I went to um, my local shop and outside um, my local shop uh, there is generally a gathering of drinkers who are in their 30s, 40s, 50s, who sit on the wall and get drunk and smoke. They don't bother me particularly, you know, there but for the grace of God go a lot of us. However, yesterday when I went to buy my pint of milk, they were kicking off alarmingly about the fact that around the corner of the shop there's a patch of grass and there was some teenagers who I'm assuming had finished their GCSEs 
having a spliff sitting on the patch of grass and they were really angry about it mm. whilst drinking and smoking. And I just thought that's... To me, what those teenagers are doing is almost like a rite of passage for teenagers. That's what you do. It's perfectly healthy and normal to experiment with drugs. And yet people with a... And you were saying about politicians. A lot of them aren't squeaky clean. A lot of them will mm-hmm. be drug users. But yet people don't feel they can be public about their drug use because of this kind of presumption that people are going to be angry about it. And we haven't actually tested the general public's opinion, or have we tested the general public's opinion about drugs use recently? I don't know about recently. There are sort of surveys done every so often, and but the problem with a lot of these kind of surveys is it depends on who does them as to what they find. Yeah. But it does seem like the barometer of public opinion around drugs is changing, but possibly that's coming from... Like, who would have predicted that William Hague would have come out in favour of the legalisation of recreational cannabis? That is a big change. And I was at a meeting that evening with... uh, Actually, at a podcast recording, because all I do is either record podcasts (laughs) or go to podcast recordings or I'm guest on other people's (laughs) podcasts. But I was at a uh, podcast recording at the House of Parliament for Stop and Search, which is another podcast on the same network as mine, and that one is focused on drug policy, uh, decriminalisation, regulation, those kind of issues. And it's organised by this group called Leap UK, who are law enforcement against prohibition. So these are police officers or former police officers, people who work in the legal system who have looked at our drug laws and found them wanting and Mm. think that something needs to change. But I was there and there were lots of people who've been working in drug policy reform for decades who were all sort of a bit shell-shocked going, I can't, I can't believe what's happened today. And that, that day in particular when William Hague's op-ed was published mm. and the government had made concessions to allow Billy Caldwell to have his medication that he, his mother was trying to bring over for his epilepsy. Well, see, there's two very different issues there, isn't there? There's the legalisation for recreational yeah. use and, there's, and the benefits of medicinal use of cannabis are undeniable and in America it's working quite well yeah although you say they're undeniable but actually for certain things you can't just bring a medication in to be prescribed from the NHS there are all sorts of you need to have a gold standard of evidence yeah. to get it sort of to get nice to say oh this is a medication that we are going to allow the NHS to prescribe and actually because of the legality of cannabis it's been really really difficult to do that research so there's so there's a lot of potential but actually we haven't really done the randomized double blind trials that we really need to do and not on things like i mean glycoma or arthritis so or... on a few things there are there are these trials but there's been nothing sort of really massive. Okay. For, and again, this is me going slightly beyond my area of expertise. Well, yeah, I mean, you're way more expert than I am. <laughs> so I, I definitely think that there's a lot of promise. But with regards to um, medicinal use of cannabis, because it's being pushed by activists in this way, there are a lot of people who really, really want it to be true. And there's a lot of nonsense talked about cannabis in terms of around cancer for example people saying oh yes cannabis can cure cancer and uh, like it's much better than the medications we have at the moment and there is a lot of research going on into medicinal cannabis but we're we're not at a place where we can say 
definitively that cannabis is useful for X, Y and Z. There are a few conditions that you can be prescribed cannabis for in the UK at the moment. There's a, a spray called Sativex and you can be prescribed that for the spasticity that comes with multiple sclerosis. Okay. If you don't, I think this is right, there's a sort of more typically prescribed medication. If that doesn't work for you, then Sativex spray might be something that's sort of tried after that. But for a lot of other things, there's sort of really, really interesting sort of tentative evidence. But actually, we need to do we need to do the proper studies. So what is stopping the studies? Partly the legal status of cannabis, where it has been officially decided that cannabis has no medical benefits. So again, I feel like I'm talking slightly beyond what I know. That's fine. That's absolutely fine. When I was listening to your your section that you did on addiction, which Mm. was absolutely excellent and really interesting you kind of busted a lot of myths in there and one of the things you were talking about was the idea of having an addictive personality yeah which was something you said that people really commonly mm. um used and and i would say that i have but and i also had a father who was an alcoholic so i sometimes wonder whether that's actually an easy way of me excusing my my inability to control my will willpower by saying oh, you know that's that's what happens to us people who have addictive personalities rather than i just can't say no to another bit of cake Yeah, it's an interesting one. And I think with a lot of stuff around drugs and addiction and that kind of thing, because there's this stigma, this potentially illegality, obviously not around alcohol, but around other substances, that actually doing this research is really challenging for lots of reasons, not just because if you want to give someone a substance, obviously that's really difficult, but also just in general, like people don't, necessarily want to talk about it and if they do they might not they might not be as honest as they might mm. be about other things so it can be really challenging to try and look into these things and the addictive personality it can be useful or it can be sort of unuseful it's like unuseful that's not a word but you know what I mean <laughs> not useful if you think about something like the term alcoholic So for some people, they find having a label, sort of feeling like they've been diagnosed as something really, really helpful in terms of their recovery. But for other people, it's exactly the opposite effect. And does what you described there of of saying, oh, well, I'm an alcoholic, so therefore I can't change that. They can be, be quite sort of fatalistic about it. And that's sort of the danger of these kind of terms like addictive personality as well where actually there might not be that much evidence behind them. It might be the case for some people that they, are, they have these compulsions and it doesn't really matter what it's about. They're just, they need something in their lives that is like that, whereas for other people it might not be the case. But having this term can, can be helpful for some people and not for others. Yeah, well, that's interesting you say about depending on what it is because you also did a piece on sugar, mm. which is interesting and, yes drives a lot of people well that was one that was really really requested because really? um, I, I wouldn't have considered it the podcast called say why to drugs I just sugar wouldn't have crossed my mind but a lot and lot of people have asked for it and then I work with this brilliant uh, woman called Charlotte Hardman who does a lot of research in that area so she very kindly offered to come on the podcast as the expert so I got to sit back and just ask the questions which was quite nice there are a lot of myths around sugar and sort of what's the difference between high sugar and high fat and what is it about one or the other that's particularly unhealthy and why are we as a nation or as a society beyond just the UK obviously it's a big problem in a lot of the 
Western world is this obesity crisis and what is driving that? Is it sugar? Is it fat? Is it a combination of both? Is it lack of exercise? There's all these different factors that have changed over the time when sort of obesity levels have changed. And I found it a really fascinating episode myself just to sort of ask the questions and listen. It's sort of the holy triumvirate, isn't it, of sugar, salt, fat, is what makes things really tasty. And I'd say that, like, you hear people say, oh, cake is my drug of choice. But there is a truth in that, that it is addictive. I I think I've got some sort of sugar addiction. I, I crave sweet stuff. It actually calms me down when I have it, or it gives me a bit of a rush. Yeah, well, that's what people use both for, largely as well, don't they? And the thing with sugar that's quite difficult, because if we get sort of going back to the point about sort of the things that are legal and the things that aren't legal, I have a, a very good friend who had a very long and a very entrenched heroin habit. And he said that although it was hard, harder to kick heroin than it perhaps would be to kick other drugs, once it's gone out of your life, it's a lot easier to stay away from because, because it's not, they don't sell yeah. it in the supermarket and everyone's not doing it around you all yeah. the time in the same way that alcohol and especially food yeah. is and we absolutely need food and i mean there's there's an there's an argument that abstinence actually might not be the best way to kick a habit for some people but with with food there's absolutely no way that you can do it you can't abstain from eating and even sugar we need, we need some sugar in our yeah. diet we need some salt in our diet we need some fat in our diet we need a balanced diet but we definitely need to eat it's not something that you can just avoid as yeah. you say Can we talk about painkillers? There's two sorts of addiction, isn't there? There's physical addiction mm-hmm. and there's psychological addiction. And I think with things like painkillers and, and well, almost anything that you're addicted yeah. to, can you tell us which is easier to break or how you break them or do you treat them both the same? I mean, it's, really, it's a really good question. It kind of comes back to what we were saying earlier about sort of can you avoid these things in your life? Like When you are trying to stop smoking, for example or drinking perhaps, you notice things related to smoking or drinking far more than people who aren't in the same situation as you. So we're in this little area of this bar at the moment and there's like a flower pot over there, but over there there's like however many bottles of wine in that cabinet. And if you were someone who was trying not to think about wine... It would be really difficult in this room because there's wine right there. Oh, and absolutely. You might not notice that otherwise, but it's thinking about things like advertising, being in the same environment that you, yeah. are, that you are normally in when you use whatever substance it is. Watching films on planes that have people smoking in them, that should be banned. There's nothing worse than being like seven hours into a flight and everyone on the screen in front of you is smoking and you're like, I was doing really well until I started watching this. But you don't don't notice it until you're in that Mm. situation and then suddenly it's all that you can see. And that kind of psychological drawing of your attention to these salient cues that can be really, really difficult to avoid depending on what it is. It's like you say with your friend when they were trying to stop heroin, that's something that probably had very specific locations, individuals, circumstances with it. And if you can change your life away from those things, you can find plenty of other things where that won't be. Whereas if you were trying to give up alcohol, 
it's substantially more difficult because it's so pervasive in our society that it's extremely hard to avoid it. And not only that, but even if you are, if you're trying to give up, most of the social things that we do involve alcohol mm. if you've got something to celebrate you have a drink if mm. you're feeling sad oh have a drink and yeah. make you feel better oh someone's got married well have drinks yeah. someone's had a baby let's wet the baby's head you know all the of these sun things is shining let's, let's go to the pub exactly with some cans yeah it's it's so it's sort of sewn into everything that we do yeah so the the, the, the war on drugs i think i mean whoever started that probably reagan wasn't it, it? Yeah. yeah it's not working in your time in your job of all the people that you've spoke to, does there seem a better way to deal with it? Policy isn't really where I focus my time, but in terms of consuming drugs safely, when we go to the bar and buy a beer, we know how much alcohol is in that beer. It's written on the side of it, it's written on the pump. If we buy a glass of wine, we know how much, or buy a bottle of wine, we know how many units are in that bottle of wine. We have units, we know the measure of yeah. alcohol. If you buy cigarettes, you know, sort of, they're standard, standardised, you know what's in it. Whereas, if you want to take an illegal substance, you necessarily have to buy it from a criminal. Mm. You don't know what you're getting, there's no regulation, obviously. Yeah. If a white powder or a pill could be any number of things so we take risks when we use drugs but sometimes the risks are increased because of because of this because of the legal status or something like heroin if you have to sort of hide your use be clandestine about it you're probably going to be or not probably that's completely unfair but there's a chance that you might have to use in places that are not sanitary, yeah. for example. You might have to use equipment that isn't sanitary. You're putting yourself at yet more risk on top of the, the just the risk from taking the substance. And that's risk that can be avoided with structural change. Mm -hmm. There would be easy wins to begin to lower those risks. Yeah, I interviewed a campaigner once whose son had died from heroin and he was he campaign was campaigning for the legalization of all drugs mm -hmm. because he said it wasn't what heroin that killed his son it was what it was cut it's with prohibition or it, it, but whatever it was in it was mm. what killed him um and it's it's difficult isn't it because you, you, you don't you don't know what you're going to get and you don't always think about that when you're in my experience when you're 21 in a nightclub well the th but the thing is even if you do i i don't know what you can do about no. it so there's, Take it back to the lab. <laughs> well, there are so there's an organisation called The Loop, which are beginning to try and provide this kind of service. So they go to music festivals, and they've recently started in Bristol City Centre on weekends, or some weekends as well. And they will test your drugs for you and tell you what's in them. This has been done at festivals and things before, sort of what they call back of house so samples that are seized will be tested and then if, if particularly strong pills for example are found they can put up notices around the festival but this is actually done where you you give them a sample of your drug they test it you come back an hour later and they sit you down for 10 minutes have a chat to you about about taking drugs and about the sort of risks that you're putting to yourself but also tell you exactly what's in what you have and what they've found is that people have been quite surprised by what's in them pills MDMA is getting stronger it looks like in the UK at the moment and that's obviously extremely dangerous because even if you if you are a, a regular user and you know 
when you're likely to experience yeah. a, an effect, what coming up feels like, that sort of thing, you might find one pill is what you need. But if that one pill is then three times as strong as the pill you last took, yeah. it doesn't take much to push you into sort of toxicity levels and put you at serious risk of of death, basically. And not knowing, not being, not having any control over how strong the dose is that you're taking and having to sort of guess, basically. The advice given by people like The Loop is crush dab weight. So if you are going to take pills, you should crush them up, dab a bit, and then see how strong it is before you decide how much to take. Or there's another one, don't be daft, have a half. Um, <laughs> um, but they, all these harm reduction methods because we can't say well this pill has 100 milligrams and this pill has 300 milligrams and that kind of thing so organizations like the loop are going to festivals and not only providing one-to-one information but also doing being able to spread the word if there are particular pills with so they've all pills often have logos or what have you on them so you can say oh well this particular pill with this particular logo we found it to be really strong or we found it to be cut with this thing that will give you really unpleasant effects or Mm. that kind of thing so put out warnings for people well it's a lot more effective than just saying no yeah I think I've seen those signs at festivals as well and yeah they'll go if it's got like a Mickey Mouse face on Mm -hmm. it be a bit more wary or don't take it or whatever yeah and it's sort of non-judgmental precaution I suppose yeah May I ask you a little bit about the personality of different drugs? Do different drugs have different personalities, or is that more reflective of the person who's taking them? Well, they definitely have different effects. So when we talk about drugs, it's quite we're lumping things mm. that can have complete or sort of diametrically opposite effects together. So some drugs are stimulants, some drugs are depressants, some drugs are sort of psychedelics where they have these kind of mind-altering effects. But we sort of lump drugs as one thing, which is is a a little bit kind of meaningless, really. But in terms of different personalities, a lot of drug-taking, and this is true of alcohol and all sorts of things, and it's something that seems to come up in every single episode of Say Why to Drugs, is that set and setting have a really big influence on your intoxication experience. Where you are, who you're with, and how you're feeling will impact on the type of experience you have while you're intoxicated. And this seems particularly to be the case for things like psychedelics, where they do have this like mind-altering intoxication effect. But actually, it's true for alcohol, and it's true for, for NDMA, and it's true for lots of things. When I, I spoke to Professor Sophie Scott about alcohol, and she said that the idea... Did yeah, oh, yeah. I did a I, sign, Yeah, she is amazing. And she said I want that, to be her when I grow up. That the idea <laughs> that vodka makes you angry and gin makes you yeah. cry is is not true yeah, it's absolutely. what mood you were in yeah. the fact that you were angry made you go I will drink you, vodka exactly yeah, yeah. yeah you oh. would buy some stairs that's why you <laughs> wanted the gin yeah mm-hmm. I fancied a sob so you bought some gin so oh yes there's one more thing I wanted to ask Columbo here uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> no um, you are you are still continuing to make these there's a lot of them up, up. I am yes you have something where you're talking about something coming up where you are looking into drug use and music am I right 
I wrote an article for The Conversation recently about drug use and music, and I actually wrote for a Liverpool music newspaper last month, kind of about the loop and about how music venues can be a really good place for the conversation about drugs to be moved forward. I don't actually have a podcast planned about drugs and music, but I do want to Thanks, do... Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> Wikipedia, amazing. <laughs> um, I do... Oh, yeah, yeah, you're everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to do an episode about drugs at festivals because I think there's sort of specific things about that. I've got lots of episodes planned. I want to do one about mixing drugs. I'm going to do one about drug use during pregnancy and, yes, drug use at festivals. Music is something... We t- I talk quite a lot about drug use and music in... A recent episode, which is with, what's his name, Albert Romeo, who's this researcher from Johns Hopkins in the USA, and he does research into the potential therapeutic use of psychedelics. And one of the things that he sort of mentioned throw away was that, oh yeah, so when people are intoxicated, we put on the playlist. And I was like, right, stop there. Let's talk about the music playlist. <laughs> so we have a sort of five minute detour and talk a lot about Pink Floyd basically yeah <laughs> that's what they put on the psychedelic playlist there's there's no overthinking there's this. A they just go straight for straight for what you'd predict I have a friend who microdoses mm. I'm fascinated by microdosing yeah and he will occasionally do that at work and he says it, it because he feels it opens just like a bit more of a creative part of his brain but there's been quite a lot of research done into that right wasn't there a lot of like as much research I mean a lot of people have tried that yeah it, it, was, it was a real big trend in Silicon Valley I think for uh, like a couple of years ago I haven't heard it mentioned so much recently but as far as I know there's absolutely no rigorously done research there's lots of experimentation and people reporting on that there was actually a really great I think it was the Reply All podcast where the two of the presenters decided to do it and it's a very interesting podcast because it shows how easy it is to get it wrong and take too much and end up tripping at work and how that is not fun. So it's, it's a very, very interesting podcast episode and it's kind of a slight cautionary tale about, yeah, this seems like a great idea, but actually it's not evidence-based. I think there's some research going on into it at the moment because the idea is with the microdosing is that you actually shouldn't feel any intoxication effect mm-hmm. at all and you shouldn't really notice it it should just be that you find sort of what's that kind of thought called where you jump from one thing to another that kind of ability to make connections where you might not be able to easier and there's sort of there's reasons to think that this might work. There's a couple of people who've won Nobel Prizes who've said that the leap they made in their thinking wouldn't have been possible without the use of psychedelics. Now, they won their Nobel Prizes in the 60s, (laughs) and who can say whether it was the psychedelics or not? But it's something that I I find the concept of it fascinating, but I'm looking forward to rigorous studies being published on it and finding out more about it. So, where can people find Say Why to Drugs? Say Why to Drugs is available from all good podcast aggregators. <laughs> uh, so it's on iTunes. It's actually hosted by Acast. And if you listen through the Acast app, then every time I mention a piece of evidence or some work or some other reading, there's a hyperlink will appear magically on your Don't your tell screen. them that. We don't do stuff like that. <laughs> You're making us look rubbish. That's a lie. I tried it once and linked to a YouTube video of Snoop Dogg. <laughs> 
that's educational. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Snoop Dogg once retweeted a scientific article I wrote, and it was the best day ever. That's so <laughs> Thanks so much for meeting us. It's so interesting. We could actually keep you for hours. Oh, thank you for having me.